Okay, morning all. My name's Adrian, if you don't know who I am. Uh, we are, as Mike kind of hinted at, we are doing things slightly differently today, continuing uh, in our series uh, in John's Gospel, which we've entitled uh, It's All About Jesus, but doing this in a slightly different way, as we felt like today would be a good moment to pause and do some things slightly differently. Uh, and in it, what we've discovered in this amazing account of John, of the wonder of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is that it is all about Jesus. It's in order that we'd see more of who he is and be shaped more by who he is. And therefore, we just thought, well, if that's the goal, if the goal is to keep seeing more of who he is, but also to be shaped more by who he is, then it'd be great to hear then stories about how we're living lives that are shaped by Jesus. And I'm just going to read a part of uh, John 1, uh, that Mike uh, kind of talked through uh, in week two of our series. But I just wanted to read this just as a way of kind of setting the scene, if you like, of everything we're about to look at. So John 1 verses something. This is where my eyes are now. It's kind of, whoa, that is bad, isn't it? 14. God, that is bad. Like I could see the words and I thought, I can't see the numbers. What's going on there? Anyway, this is what... John writes, so the word that's Jesus became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And what we're going to hear in a moment is four different stories of individuals who are part of who we are, part of this home, where we're saying that actually we want to live lives that are centered on who Jesus is. And we're going to hear their stories of how they're seeking to live lives that are all about Jesus. Now in it, what it's doing is revealing what we're seeing week on week in this John's Gospel of Jesus' unfailing love and revealing more of what his glory looks like, of his compassion, his mercy, his goodness that's getting revealed through our lives as we taste more of who he is. And each and every story isn't that we're saying that any individual within Oasis is fully living a life that reveals who Jesus is. It's their life is literally all about Jesus. Because I promise you, all of us are on journeys of understanding more of who Jesus is and how he shapes our lives. And so isn't that we're holding up kind of people saying, oh, this, this person lives all about Jesus. No, they're someone who's seeking to live more and more all about Jesus. But in it also, what I want us to understand is that as we hear these stories, stories that are about our home here that Jesus is building, is that they're stories that we don't get to hear and think, man, well, how does my life compare to that? Or that seems better than me, and, and I don't want that to be the case, and we're kind of competing with it. No, no, that isn't what home's about. Rather, home is a family where we therefore get to celebrate in one another's stories. And so as we get to hear different individual stories, it becomes a moment we realize that their story is our story. These moments where we share is every single one of us, when we sit or stand in front of everyone else, you feel a degree of nerves. And so you feel like, actually, I'm sharing something with myself, and this feels vulnerable. And therefore, whenever that happens, can we reward vulnerability by saying, hey, we receive it, we want to offer it, and we want to encourage and honor you. So I'm going to move us on. Uh, just, I don't want to do lots of fills, to be honest, because I get to share loads. I think like people's stories speak for themselves. Um, I'm going to introduce a good friend as well. All these people are my friends, because everyone's my friend. I really like everyone. That's cool. That's why I can say they're my friend, because they genuinely are. I don't feel like I belong to some people with membership. Man, what is that? No, I have friends. Um, so the next person I get the privilege of kind of introducing isn't actually in the room, uh, but we really wanted him to be with us. And so he's actually away this weekend celebrating his wife's birthday. 
but we wanted him still to be with us. And so I'm going to introduce the one and truly only Vince Rickett, uh, who's going to share with us. So over to you, Vince. Somewhere appear magically, I hope. Hi, my name is Vince. I've been part of Oasis now for about 18 years. Uh, in 2011, I was diagnosed with two cancers, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and kidney cancer. So I've been living, Deb and I, my wife, has been living with cancer since that time. This year, things have changed quite dramatically, really. Um, in May of this year, I had results of a scan that showed that uh, kidney cancer is spread to my spine. And having gone in for a lymphoma appointment at 10 o'clock on the morning, and that had gone well, uh, because lymphomas remained stable. By seven o'clock that evening, I was lying on a bed, being told I'm not allowed to move, because there was concern that the tumour was pressing on my spine. It came to June and the decision was made that I needed to have an emergency operation in order to remove as much of the tumour as possible. And so since that time, uh, I've been at home working through um, my recovery from that experience. My life has, has changed quite dramatically, really. Um, I'm now on daily cancer medication and what that means is that in order to make the day work, I'm up at six o'clock, Deb takes my blood pressure to check that the medication is not affecting my blood pressure and my day starts. I'm also adjusting to having had an unstable spine and so therefore bending and lifting I need to be really careful with and doing life in general is a challenge because the medication I'm on makes me tired and so managing time throughout the day um, also looks different and as I've recovered I have found a couple of things that the Lord has taught me. Firstly, that he truly never leaves or forsakes. He never abandons us. And throughout the whole journey of, of cancer that Deb and I have walked, I've lived with this reality that, that the Lord is with me, that he gives me a peace that passes, that transcends all understanding. That has been my experience. And... Uh, as challenging as this year has been, I've always known his peace. So I know that he's with me and he's shown me some different things, just even in that area. So when I was having to lie down for, for much of my day, I'd find that I was awake a lot. And that was principally due to the medication I was on. And in those moments, I found that Jesus was really clear to me. I could sense his presence with me. And, you know, I've, I've, I've mentioned to, to friends of mine of, of those moments of, of being awake and hearing the dawn chorus, the, the birds just singing 
uh, outside and just being reminded of the, of, of the Lord's wonderful creation and uh, and that th I, I was getting to experience those moments, those moments of, of his creativity and his reminder that he was with me, even though I was laying on a, on a bed um, for much of my day. And so the Lord hasn't abandoned me. He's been really close. And the second thing I'd, I'd say that I've learned um, across this year is, is about being honest with God about where things are at. And I want to share with you now that I found it really hard. I found it hard even to say to the Lord, this is hard. But I found, as I did, that there was a great release because not only was the Lord reminding me in that moment that he was with me, but that he is sufficient for me and that he was the one that and is the one that sustains me even when things are tough, even when things are hard. Uh, he continues to remind me that he loves me, that he cares for me, that he rejoices over me with singing. God is still invites me to draw closer to him but I'm wanting to rush ahead um, and so he keeps he keeps if it's bringing me back to to one particular scripture be still and know that I am God that's what he keeps bringing back to and uh, basically saying to me just enjoy my presence just enjoy me uh, don't get rushing ahead I want to leave you with this thought that no matter what life may throw at us, no matter what life circumstances we may go through, the Lord is forever with us. The Lord Jesus is the one that sustains us and is really close. And he is our peace that passes all understanding. What I love about that is that um, Vince wasn't in the room this morning, wasn't part of our worship, and yet all he contributes in kind of adds to what we've been in, which is just amazing. Think, oh yeah, God, you are in control. Um, Alice Gray, can I invite you up? Uh, <clears throat> Over to you, Alice. Introduce yourself. Uh, morning, everyone. Um, yeah, so hi, I'm Alice, um, and I'm going to be telling you a little bit like uh, about what uh, living for Jesus looks like in my life at the moment, and in particularly uh, one aspect of my life, and that's my work. Um, so I'm something called a palliative care doctor. Um, it's a bit of a long mouthful. Uh, palliative care is something that's generally for patients, people for whom quantity of life just isn't possible anymore. So medicine said, actually, we can't get rid of your disease. And so I'm part of a team that then says, well, we're not finished yet. We want to look at your quality of life. We want to make today as good as possible for you. Um, so I've got a real privilege in, in training in that. Um, and a lot of you will be familiar a, a bit with palliative care, if you've met Mike as well. Um, I think he was the first person I was frog-marched over to when I arrived at Oasis. Um, and also hospices. So palliative care is quite well established here in the UK. Um, but that's not actually the case across the rest of the world. 86% um, of those across the world that need palliative care don't get it. Um, and actually four out of every five people 
don't have access to pain relief. Um, so we're really lucky in the UK. And I've been part of a charity over my years of training that's, that's trying to improve that situation across the UK. Uh, and so most recently I was part of a team that were invited to spend some time in the Gaza Strip uh, helping the development of palliative care there and provision of pain relief. Um, for those of you that, that don't know, the Gaza Strip's an, an area of land inhabited uh, by Palestinians. Uh, so it's an area between Israel and Egypt, uh, right along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, sparkling away. Uh, and it's referred to as the Occupied Territories, uh, as it's quite heavily policed by Israel. And it's about 25 miles long by about 6 miles wide, 3.6 as its narrowest, but with about 2 million people living in it. Uh, so it's pretty full. I think about the third most densely populated area in the world. Um, now, due to the political situation, there's a blockade on that land. So air, land, and sea, things can't freely move in and out. People can't freely move in and out. Um, and that includes resources like pain relief, like medication, like chemotherapies. Um, uh, so actually, including pain relief, despite the high numbers of uh, trauma cases that come from fighting and bombings, there's been some bombings there the last couple of weeks, thankfully just after I left, but some bombings there most recently, they've got very little access, and actually next to no access to morphine. And the World Health Organization has a list of medications that are meant to be essential, basic, for every country to have, um, and the Gaza Strip only has access to about half of those. Um, I'm not here to make any political statements. I think there's enough of that going on in our country at the moment, and I've got nothing to add to that. Um, <laughs> but thankfully, healthcare transcends politics, and so they allowed little old me and my team in. Um, now, whilst our team were there, we were petitioning the Ministry of Health for better access to morphine, just educating them on, on how to control its use in a country, um, and also in the West Bank as well. We were seeing patients in, in the hospitals with teams that already had a bit of understanding about palliative care, but just didn't know how to put it into practice, um, and helping them care for the, the adults and the children in their hospitals that, that needed palliative care. Um, now, if you're going to get this sort of thing rolling, you've got to get, into the, get the next generation involved. So um, we got to spend um, some time with the medical students, teaching them about palliative care. Uh, I don't think they knew what to make of me, but we had a lot of fun. Um, and then we actually got the first ever palliative care conference going in Gaza. Um, you don't hear that on the BBC. <laughs> um, now, if anyone thinks that this is in any way glamorous, uh, zero of the glamour. Uh, the saltiness of the water that we were washing in made my hair take on a life of its own that no hair product can control. Um, and was it easy? Definitely not. Um, God and I definitely had a conversation about my life choices when a really good-looking Israeli soldier was having to root through my dirty underwear looking for a bomb <laughs> uh, as we were trying to cross the border. Um, I think, Lord, could we have a different plan next time? <laughs> um, I'm making a joke, but um, when thinking about some of the hardest parts of, of being there, um, it was seeing human beings in, in deep agony, both physical and emotional, and... If they'd been a few thousand miles west, my geography's dreadful, west, then actually I could have handled that agony. We could have done something about that agony. I could have made them comfortable and they could have died in peace. But a thousand miles away, there was nothing I could do. Why is this living for Jesus? What, what connection does Gaza have with wanting to live more like Christ? 
well, if you fail to notice, it's coming up to Christmas. Um, and sometimes we forget how not John Lewis advert worthy the real Christmas story is. You see, the God that I'm seeking to follow chose to come down to earth to an occupied land, an occupied, a land occupied by even more brutal people than we're used to nowadays. He chose to come at a time where he was forced to be a refugee, and he spent time homeless, depending on other people for hospitality. And he chose to die in agonizing pain, or because he loved us, or because he loved me. And I want to follow after that love and let it pour out of me, because you see that love transformed me. Because um, to see these stories that I've told you about aren't, aren't me. If you don't know me as a teenager, you would have never imagined me doing anything like this. But we love because he first loved us, right? And I can do what I've been trained to do, motivated by the love that he first gave me. I just find it deeply humbling. Can I invite Theo up? Theo Davis, come on up, man. Theo, why don't you introduce yourself, tell a bit about your story. So, hi, guys. It's on, right? Good. Excellent. So, I'm Theo. I've been coming to Oasis for about seven years now. So, um, I'll just tell you a little bit about my story of what's kind of brought me here. So, um, my talk is divided into three areas. So main thing is my journey of how I got to Birmingham. Secondly is work and then third is play. So journey of getting to Birmingham. Never in my wildest dreams would I have thought I'd be here to be brutally honest. <laughs> um, I'm a Londoner. We all know like a London snob, don't we? You know, someone who thinks <laughs> about London as the only place in the world and nothing else exists around it. So that's kind of was me as a 17 year old applying to medical school because I had basically applied to all four London universities, nearly shot myself in the foot there. Um, but fortunately enough, um, I had a few warnings along the way. So a year before I applied, one friend said, apply to Birmingham. And I kind of thought, nah, I'm all right, I'm good, I'm fine. I can leave it there. And then following on from that, about five days before I sent my application off, um, someone said the same thing. For some reason, I listened to him. I have no prior connection to Birmingham. But it turned out, as it transpired, that that was the only place that offered me a place to study at, uh, med at medical school. Wow. Um, so um, that was something else. But that, for me, I remember questioning God, saying that, is Birmingham the best place in the world for medicine? Are you sure? Um, uh, <laughs> uh, and I remember, I remember thinking that it's not the best place in the world for you, Theo, but it's the uh, it's, well, best institution in the world, but it's the best place for you. And that's really set the tone about how I live Jesus in my life. So moving on to work, so I work as a doctor. Been doing that for about two years now. Um, I've had a recent change of pace where I now teach medical students, which is a real privilege. So I spend time inspiring the next generation of doctors to live a life that is professional and also in keeping with inspiring others as well. So my method of teaching isn't beating you over the head with a stick, you know, not, not like traditional, I don't know, 1950s times, but it's more, it's more like a sense of encouragement saying that you can do well and encouraging people. I'm really particular about naming students and naming people. And it's funny that we touched on that during the service today about God knows us all by name and as individuals. Yeah. And that's how I seek to 
do little things to inspire others. So I will always know you by name because that sees you as significant and valued. So that's kind of how I approach things in work. Um, and then play. So it's been a real honor and privilege to be part of the worship team here. And I just want to honor all the musicians and worship leaders I've worked under for the last seven years. Um, but aside from church work, I am involved in writing and releasing my own music. So I work with one of my friends called Isaac. Um, we release a song, um, so we do kind of soul music. Um, not, not particularly Christian, but more um, kind of set to be different to, you know, the usual kind of violence or kind of negative imagery of music. So what we've done uh, was uh, release our first song late last year, about September time, with the aim of getting a thousand plays because on Spotify, they don't actually tell you if you get if you get above a thousand plays, you can get a reading. If it's below a thousand, you don't actually know what it is. <laughs> so um, I, we thought let's try and aim for a thousand just for sake uh, of you know avoiding embarrassment. Then about maybe ten year, days later, uh, we got an email from Spotify saying, "Oh, we actually like this song." I was like, "What? Really?" Uh, and Spotify was like receive about fifty thousand submissions about a week. So for us to be picked out of fifty thousand was just insane. Um, but they've just showed so much support, and about a year on, um, we're on nearly 200, over 2,000 streams now, 200,000. So it's incredible how um, just kind of focusing on God and worshiping Him, He's kind of opening that door there. So I'm excited to see where things go from there. Brilliant. Thank you, Theo. Very good. Okay, next up, I'm going to invite Emily Hurst, uh, who, just to be clear, if no one knows this, this is my daughter, which is uh, it's very exciting to get her. We are a church of multiple ages, and so it's just great to hear her, so we welcome her up. Yes. Over to you, Em. Hello. Um, so, I was just going to start with, like, how I'm looking to kind of seek Jesus daily, which is for me is kind of just simply on the bus, um, kind of taking that as a chance to pray and use the Bible app is really good um, and kind of listen to what God wants to say to me, listen to worship music, that kind of thing. Um, and then weekly is this um, opportunity I've got at school to lead my Christian union with two other friends of mine and that's been really fun, yeah. Um, and yeah, so kind of at the end of last year, it was not looking great, like not many people came and uh, like they didn't really do anything. Um, so then this year we were kind of praying about it and the numbers have grown, which is really exciting. Uh, so there's now about a core group of 12, I think, that come along and we've been able to do some Bible studying together, which was really cool. Um, and yeah, just encourage like those younger girls at school to kind of keep going in their walk for Jesus. Um, yeah, and then kind of longer term, looking to the future. Um, I'm hoping to go to university next September. Um, and yeah, I think it's just like trusting God in that whole process, like that whole other kind of world in a way. <laughs> Um, yeah, just through doing the UCAS application uh, and just trusting that God will bring all that together for the best. 
um, and especially this uh, verse from Jeremiah 29 has been really helpful. So, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Uh, it's pretty cool. <laughs> and yeah, and then also just talking about that, thinking about that, I want to study theology and religion at uni, which will mean like having to reconcile my personal faith, walk with Jesus, with kind of critically evaluating all the claims of religion, including Christianity. Um, and I was just thinking, we did this Genesis study from Jen Wilkin, who said um, that it's really important to love God with your mind, and that's kind of what I'm going to hopefully do. I'm going to invite Anna Gooding up now. Uh, should we welcome Anna? You all right? Yes, good. I'm good. Over to you. Okay, um, so I'm Anna. Um, so when I was thinking about how my faith impacts just like my day-to-day, -day, um, three things came to mind. Um, but first, I think for me, it's really important to remember that it's kind of, it's often like the small things that seem insignificant that makes up my faith, as well as like the really big experiences. Like, for example, I went to New Day this summer, which was like absolutely amazing. Um, and God's presence was so clear. Um, and it was just amazing to be surrounded by people who also love God. Um, and I came back buzzing. I was like, I was so determined to make my faith more serious and more committed to God. Like, as amazing as those things are, I think it's often, like, the little things of my day that are just as important. Like, sometimes for me, just continuing to read the Bible, even when I don't necessarily feel God's presence really strongly, is, like, the best I can do. Um, and at the moment, God's really been talking to me about how my faith needs to be built on kind of something stronger than just, like, feelings or experiences like New Day, um, but on the knowledge that God is my Savior and the promises that he's made to me instead of anything that I can do. Um... So the first thing, I think, is that my faith really encouraged me to adopt, like, an attitude of gentleness in school. Um, it can feel really harsh, like, everyone's trying to get one on top of each other and proving yourself with your grades or, like, how people see you. And I guess it is really hard when your identity isn't in Jesus, but is in your grades or, you know, how you, like, people see you. Um, and I really try and keep reminding myself that my identity is in Jesus and my worth doesn't lie in these things. And so that means I don't have to run after them at all costs and kind of knock people down on the way. Um, and I can just stop trying to prove myself and instead rest in the identity that Jesus has given me. And secondly, I'd say my faith makes me really want to make a stand against things that I'm passionate about. Jesus was, was so passionate, and if he believed something wasn't right, he did something about it, and he wouldn't just leave it. Um, like, for example, I'm really passionate about the fact that women need to be, like, represented in all areas of our society. Um, and my faith really encourages me to go about this in a way that's honoring to, honoring to God. Um, but it's also so empowering knowing that, knowing that Jesus is behind me, and he gets angry about injustice with us. Um, so I really want my life to look like that, pursuing justice and running after Jesus, and that means caring about the things that he cares about. And finally, um, I'd say that my faith really allows me to rest in the promises that God has my future. Um, like Emily said, the amazing verse, um, he knows the plans he has for me, and they're plans to prosper me and not harm me. 
their plans to give me a hope and a future. And while it can feel like everyone's telling you you need to know what you want to do with the rest of your life right now, or exams are just so important, Jesus says, no, um, I can take that weight off your shoulders. And God promises to stay with me when it's hard, but also I can be so excited about the future because he's there. And he really encouraged me to put it in his hands because it's a lot safer in his than it is in mine. Thank you. Just listening to Anna there, who's 16 now, nearly 15, 16, and then Emily 17. I was thinking, man, when I was 17 and 16, 15, I was an absolute idiot. Like, <laughs> there was no way anyone would have allowed me to share. I just think, man, if I could have been like them, where would I be now? I was like, wow, this is amazing. So it is great. Janet Fox is awesome to have you in the room. Let's welcome Janet up. I think, as they say, follow that. Gosh, that's amazing. Um, so, hello. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Janet, and uh, Oasis has been um, my home for about 12 months now. And uh, I really do feel that God has led me here. And uh, I've really been overwhelmed by the welcome that I've had. So thank you very much uh, for that. Um, Adrian's asked me to share part of my story. Um, about how I moved from the NHS, having worked in the NHS for, I won't tell you how long, because I'm not 16, um, <laughs> um, to setting up my own company um, just over three years ago now. Um, the first thing I'd like to say is that this and me is very much a work in progress. Um, I haven't got it sussed, and I'm learning all the time. Um, what I would like to share is what I've learned and what I continue to learn. Um, and it's actually been a real privilege to think about how I want to run my own company and the principles I feel it's right to work by. I don't often get that privilege in the workplace. So what do I do? I'll probably start by explaining that. Um, so broadly speaking, I'm a coach, um, I'm a mediator, um, I do some facilitation and I'm a trainer. Um, I often work with people who are struggling or in conflict um, or teams that are not quite working well together. Um, yeah, I think this week, <laughs> I feel a bit vulnerable talking about this because actually this week I'm, I've been in the midst with a team who I can't actually, humanly speaking, see a way forward and I'm not sure they can either. But I, I guess what I hope to do is to support people um, and teams and wider organisations to be the best that they can be. Part of the business strapline is about realising potential. And I guess that's fundamental to what I try to do. Um, I guess my journey has also included some key moments and um, some people who've been really significant for me. So one of the people has been a guy called Nigel Swinford. Um, he has run for 40 years something called the New English Orchestra, and I have had the privilege of being part of that. Nigel has always talked about an open palm and holding what we did in the NEO in, in an open palm. 
and I'm going a bit off script here, but on Friday I sat with a young girl who was just trying to work something out. I had no idea what was going on for her, but I just sat there and under the table I held my palms open. And God, it was like this light bulb happened to her and it's a real privilege. Um, one of the significant parts of my journey was when I facilitated away, an away day for a Christian charity. I've got a friend who lives in Guernsey and she works for a, a Christian charity and as part of a, a good friend, I like to go and visit her. It's hard, isn't it? But uh, I kind of gave them a, a day and said, okay, so how can I help? Because they were at a bit of a crossroads. And it was a complete privilege to... Um, to put some prayer, some time for prayer in that agenda. And I can remember reflecting on this with her and praying that God would actually open that part of the business for me so that I could work with more Christians. And you know, sometimes you just, I don't know whether you feel, but sometimes I feel kind of the heavenly host go, oh dear Janet, you've got that so wrong. And, <laughs> and God reminded me that in my family and in a lot of my friendship groups and certainly in the whole of my working life, I've actually been amongst non-Christians. And I kind of felt him challenge me to say, why would this be different now? Um, so um, that got me thinking um, about what I do. And I guess there was a significant shift in me from running what I do as a business to actually thinking it more as my ministry. So part of my involvement in the NEO has been seeing that as a ministry, um, and it was part of my giving. So one of the fundamental things I try to do in the business is give some time where I don't charge. Um, and that's quite difficult sometimes, some months. Um, but I know that when the focus is on the bottom line, my focus is in the wrong place. Um, yeah, I need to make a living. Um, but actually that part of it, the bottom line for, for me is this act of faith and trust. My goodness, this sounds grand, doesn't it? Um, what does it mean in practice? Well, I guess I try to take time out each week to pray for the people I'm going to meet during that week. Um, asking that God would use me as a vehicle uh, to reach other people and give me insights as to what might be happening for them. Um, particularly significant for me is, is kind of in some of the mediation work I do. Um, I tend to pray quite a lot in those situations, surprisingly enough. Um, people are in conflict. There's people that are not understanding each other or getting on well together. Um, and I have to say, my home group and my house group, small group, whatever, we, I, mean, I still don't know what we call them here, but um, they've been particularly helpful. Um, and some of the insights that they've given through our kind of WhatsApp group have been so significant. And I want to honor that because there's some folks here. Um, so I guess in that mediation situation, a key thing for me has been inviting God's spirit into the room and asking his angels um, to really kind of just take over. So how does that happen? I actually make sure I'm in the room early. I stand behind the chairs and I actually pray for the person that's going to be sitting on that particular chair. And I ask that God's spirit would come. Um, there was one situation 
I can remember, and I won't share that, but I can honestly, I, I just sat in the facilitator chair and I didn't do anything except wave my arms around a bit. And God's spirit just completely took over. Um, I had the privilege of going to the Catalyst Leadership Conference earlier this year, and a guy called Phil Wiltrue, have I got that right? Wiltrue, um, talked about how we hear God's voice in the everyday. And um, he, he kind of said three things that I actually I'm still pondering on. One is being faithfully present. So that's how I turn up to the place where God has, has placed me, be that at home, be that with friends, be that at school, be that in the workplace. Being prophetically alert um, to what's God saying rather than reacting to what has been said. I'm still working on that one, big time. And thinking victoriously. Um, the kind of the, the verse the girls have shared has been a verse that's been with me um, through my life, really. Um, um, but it's believing that God has set us up for success because I believe he has. So that's where I'm at at the moment, currently, currently thinking about this more and trying to step out in faith and sharing what I think God is saying. Um, I think Adrian alluded to something at the beginning of this for me was actually not trying to do it as I see how other people do it, but working out how God works through me in the skills and gifts that he's given me and he's given you. So, do I always get it right? No. Does it always go to plan? No. Um, is God faithful? And have I seen him at work? Absolutely. Man, I love this. Last one. I know we're finishing slightly late, but I, I kind of think, man, we need one more. Tom, are you here? You are. Come on up. Let's welcome Tom. Uh, first off, we almost had uh, a twinning thing going on because I nearly wore my denim shirt and black high-top trainers, so... Got away with that one. Can never be a wrong thing. <laughs> Just get some tartan trousers and then you're in the club. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, so yeah, how how is my life all about Jesus? Um, I'm glad you gave, gave the disclaimer, but I'm going to give another one. Um, sometimes it's not. Um, often it's not. Um, I'm can be very selfish. Um, I guess we all can sometimes. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to start with that that place of sometimes that I don't get it right. But um, when, when, it, when I do get it right, um, I just wanted to say that that's, that's not me. I believe that that's uh, like God's goodness through me and him like drawing him to myself and me becoming less and him becoming more. Um, so I'm currently, as of August, um, leading uh, something called a campus ministry in Selly Oak. Um, Sometimes I, I wonder how I got here. Um, looking back, yeah, leading a, a Christian ministry. Um, I think sometimes I could be tempted to thinking, oh, great, yeah, I'm, I'm leading this ministry. Aren't I so good? Aren't I such a good Jesus person? Um, but, like, I'm just realizing more and more, it, like, through leading, it really needs to be the opposite of that. Um, like, I need to be more humble and more of a servant. Um, looking at the way Jesus led um, and his ministry, like he always placed himself below others. Um, and that's what it means to be a, 
a true leader. So trying to take inspiration from that. Um, yes. Um, yeah, often I just need to get out of the way so that he can um, do his thing. And often I just get to have a front row seat and see what he does, which is amazing. Um, yeah, so like when something good happens, like having a really good conversation, start like reading the Bible with a student, not not thinking, oh, that's that's my doing, like, but just giving him all the glory. And, and often I just have to check myself and think that like it is all about Jesus. It's not about Canvas. The ministry is called Canvas. It's not about Canvas. It's not about me. It's not about this team. It's about him and what he's doing in the lives of individuals. Um, yeah, so that's that's how it looks um, in my workplace. But in, in my life, um, like I guess outside of ministry, um, I, yeah, I, well, I kind of stole this from Adrian a bit. As I said, said this the other day. But um, just knowing that, thinking about like heaven and the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven, heaven coming to earth, like that is an amazing thing and it is really important and it's important to think about that. But the kingdom of heaven and heaven coming to earth means nothing without Jesus or without the king. So it needs to be about that and not about the thing that we get to experience. It's not about an experience, but about our relationship with him um, and him. And uh, I was praying the other day. It doesn't always happen. <laughs> and uh, I just felt like God asked me, like, Tom, why, why, why do you want to spend time with me? Why are you praying? And the first thing that came into my head was, well, I want to be a better leader. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better friend, a better son, which is a good thing. But then I felt like he kind of said back at me, like, don't you just want to spend time with me? I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. And I think it's, yeah, like growing in your faith and growing as a person, developing more into person, the person that God made me to be is a really good thing. But that comes from spending time with him. Like it, it, it's important for that not to be the focus of, yeah, of my faith. Let me get my phone out again. One more thing. Um, oh, yeah. Um, micro prayers is what I call them. Um, so that's like, making sure to be present um, with Jesus, not outside of just being at church or in a small group or when I'm you know, having some quiet time, but but really um, it just kind of, it, my faith immersing every every moment of my life um, when I'm feeling anxious, um, when I'm feeling unsure or uncertain, just like literally just saying, help me Jesus, be with me Jesus, um, not saying a big prayer, just like being aware of him um, in those moments and not just when things are good, but when things are really tough as well. Um, yeah, and also knowing that uh, I think, yeah, I, I've definitely been through some from some difficult times in my faith, also with my mental health, um, but at the moment things are, things are pretty good. Um, I feel like I'm in a, in a time of real blessing um, but knowing that that's um, that's not I, I don't trust God 
in order to be blessed. Like sometimes that doesn't happen and learning to be okay with that. But throughout it, when there is difficult things, um, whether there's blessing or not, but learning to trust him. What I love about Oasis is the stories you've heard this morning, you probably would have never heard. Like, to be honest, I never knew about the 200,000 hits on uh, Spotify until I linked to three links and discovered it. Theo doesn't talk about it at all. Doesn't even tell anyone he makes music. Um, Alice kind of is very quiet. When I said to her, would you say something about Gaza? She was like, no, 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 I'm not going to say anything about that. I don't want anyone to think anything of it. Uh, you hear Lizzie and, and her story, and you're like... Lizzie, man, we've got to allow people to hear this. It's amazing. Uh, Vince, like, I have to wrestle Vince to say, please keep sharing your story because it does us good. And I guess what it caused me to realize is that all of us are trying to seek to live after Jesus. But sometimes we're so shy of telling our story of how we're seeking to do that. And I guess what I want us to leave with this morning is when you hear others' stories, it just does you good. It causes you to realize, you know what, Jesus, you are about transforming lives. And you are enough in every and any circumstance. And I wonder if how we therefore move from this morning is that we go on telling our stories. We haven't got time to kind of keep saying, right, come on up, share your story. Let's put your name on a PowerPoint slide. No, maybe the point isn't that. Maybe the point is that we just get good, not at glorying in ourselves, but glorying in Jesus, of sharing our stories of how living for him shapes everything of who we are to reveal more of who he is. And I wonder if in this moment, as we pause and go and collect children or go and grab a drink, is a moment where we say, hey, let me tell you about what Jesus is doing in me at the moment. And then maybe more than that, maybe as we leave this place, we actually go with a growing sense of confidence to say, in the setting that God has placed me, I get to share the wonder of this good news of who Jesus is. And it's all about 